How do multifamily owners retain renters and increase net operating income? Well, we're on a journey to find out. You're listening to Amenitize or Die, tactics and strategies from the front lines of multifamily. I'm your host, Scott Patterson, Marine Corps veteran and founder of Tumble Smart Laundry on a mission to increase NOI through your shared laundry. Uh, today, we have Jim Baldwin, founder and CEO of Domatic, an intelligent power distribution system that saves builders time and money. Welcome to the pod, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm super excited about this one. Uh, you know, you've worked at every company out there that everyone's heard of, uh, Intel, Apple, Microsoft, um, and now now Domatic, right? So, tell me a little bit about yourself and the and the Domatic story. Oh, where to begin? Um, so, uh, you want me to start at the uh, um, the back at Apple or what do you want? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so yeah, let's just, let, let's talk about Domatic first and then we can kind of go, go to the origin story. Okay. So with Domatic, um, we set out to solve the problem of why building automation is not getting, is not making its way into buildings. The, the statistic is automation makes the cut in building projects less than 10% of the time. And we, we felt like, you know, this technology has been around a while. Why are we not, why is it not getting into buildings? So we went and studied the problem and we realized that it's, it's additive. Building automation adds 30% to the cost of a typical construction project. Wow. And so it's all additive. It's all on top of what you're already doing. And we said, well, what can we do to, um, to change the game here. And we came up with this idea to, rather than just add on top of what is happening in a building, to change how we wire the building in the first place so that what, what you net out is a building that was actually cheaper and easier to uh, do the wiring for. And you got an automated building in the process. Wow. So, okay. So a couple, couple things there, right? So one building automation was sort of the the beginning of this right like there's technology literally everywhere uh real estate tends to be lagging um and you know part of that was like trying to figure out why uh is is that happening building automation is is super super interesting space um especially as you were talking about living in places and, and things like that so um when you go to an infrastructure level right and you're looking at at how to how to even create that level of connectivity throughout an entire space. Like, what are some of the the hurdles that people are running into? Well, if you just try to add intelligent components to uh, the way we wire buildings today, um, you're gonna. And pretty much the only route you have is to either pull dedicated wires for the communication or use some kind of wireless technology. Um, wireless technology is great. I really like wireless. I use it all the time, but I really think its sweet spot is when one point or the other is moving around. The, the idea of using wireless when point A and point B are fixed is almost an immoral use of the spectrum. You know, so I felt like, you know, that if you're going to run a wire anyway to get power to something, can't we use that same wire to create connectivity as well? And that just seems the obvious way to do it. We have that with um, computers, with USB cables. I mean, when you plug a webcam into your computer, it's getting power 
from the USB port and it's communicating over that same connection. So I, I thought, well, why can't we do the same thing for buildings? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking, we're always talking about zeros and ones, right? When we talk about just data connections. So, um, you know, even if you talk about just setting up a network in an office, right? Like, uh, it, the, the person that comes out and does that is a low power technician, right? I always thought that was a funny, a funny name, right? A low power technician is like, well, what's like a medium power technician or like a high power technician, you know, like, is that an electrician at that point? Like, um, what's the different, the different calls on that? So, I mean, running one wire, I mean, what, what are some of the cost savings that some of your customers at Domatic are, are, are seeing, um, as they're building sort of, instead of multiple conduits with different sort of infrastructure layers, like just going with, uh, with one. Well, the cost savings starts with our observations about the electrical code, uh, in the national electrical code, they've got a call app, you know, for, for all you, it's called class two, but all you have to know is it's there so that you can run phone wire or coax or cable TV or ethernet cabling without having to go through the regime of inspections and permits uh, that are required for high voltage power distribution. Um, it's been in there since the beginning of time. The, the phone company always had power on the phone line coming in your house because that's how, that's how your phone rang. It was actually coming from the, the phone company's power. So in order, in order to allow the phone company to pull wire through a building without having to go through the, um, all the, the, the pain of, uh, of uh, permitting inspections, the, the code said, hey, if you stay under 100 watts and under 60 volts, you can do whatever you want. So that's been in there since day one. Um, what we recognized is, you know, maybe 10 years ago, that's still 100 watts you couldn't do much with. You could ring a bell on a phone maybe, but you couldn't do a lot. But LEDs happened to, that made lighting go from, you know, light bulb being 150 watts to now an LED lamp being 10 or 15. Um, DC motors happened. And maybe we have drones to thank for this, but now we have very efficient motors that, that run at very low power levels and can power ventilation fans and heat recovery ventilators. The, the, the scope of what you can do with this sort of call out that the electrical code already has in it has grown to the point where the vast majority of the fixtures that go into a building are candidates for this new approach. Wow. That's, I mean, yeah. So as you're stringing these wires up, so we're, we're talking things that are running on fairly low power, right? Like I, I'm not going to put a electric dryer on the same network, right? Um, do you, are you able to, are you still able to do like the same data connection over those higher power lines or is it just more of a, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to string a certain class of, of, of wire for certain, I guess, um, uses like. Like why string a, a whole 120 volt overhead for a string of lights when you can just do like something far less, right? Is that kind of the... Yeah, the, the technique we use to inject um, a data network into the, into the power line that we use for the low voltage wire um, also can be used for high voltage. There's no reason why you know, a dryer couldn't get its data connection from 
the power line itself. That's kind of a different category of stuff. We, we're, you know, our starting point, we work, we, we focus on the built-ins, the things that are going into the ceilings and walls, lights and fans and sensors and switches and door controllers, things like that. Um, the, the things that plug into outlets are kind of phase two for us, but I do think there is a world where um, we, we could have that, that plug, you know, mean something more than just give me power. It could mean give me power and uh, a, a way to connect to the building's infrastructure. But well, that's a, it's a later phase to me. Well, I mean, and, and it sounds like it could even be super important, especially with all the ESG stuff going on um, in buildings right now. So like one of the big things is understanding the, the that footprint of, of operating that, that building. And so if you can have sensors at that point, right, that's one, one of the things that we run into fairly regularly is, you know, people want to understand what is what is the utility cost of, of running a laundry machine or, you know, running a, uh, a washer and how much, how many gallons of water is it using, especially here in California. Right. So it's, it, it is an interesting idea where like at that point you could have a sensor that is actually returning, um, information like, you know, as part of the system. Yeah. One of the products, um, we made a few years ago, it's, 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 we haven't, um, we're not ready to ship it yet, but it's, it's in our, in our lab per se, uh, is an outlet that we communicate with over, over the high voltage, uh, lines and it can monitor the current going through it. That's really the one interesting thing about outlets. Outlets themselves are not an end game. They're just a way to get power to something else. But, uh, we do think it's interesting to have an outlet that can measure power continuously through it. So you know exactly how much each one of those uh, things you got plugged into that outlet are, are using. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the only other thing that I could think of being interesting with outlets is a relay for turning it on and off. But um, that, 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 there, there are applications of that in, in apartment buildings where you, know, you, you want to have let people have a lamp and have the, the lamp be plugged into an outlet so it's controlled by the switch. I mean, we could do stuff like that too. So that is part of the, the plan of what we're doing. But the, you know, the key value there would be monitoring the power going through it. Um, and yeah, if you really want to know specifically how much each dryer is taking, like in your in, in your application, that that would be that that's one one way we could tackle that problem. Yeah, well, because yeah. right now the the only other way to do it would be to somehow um, split up the circuits and put put direct sort of meters on each sort of one. And that sounds cumbersome, you know, and you, you start to see some of these smart home, smart building technologies where it is quite literally doing that, right? Like you are putting a sensor on a main line of the water pipe, and then you're putting a sensor on the sewage line and you're trying to measure the Delta, right? So instead of putting a sensor at the point of use, it's trying to do this sort of like statistical analysis of, of pluses and minuses, which probably gets you close, I would imagine. Yeah. But it's no, not. If, if all you want to do is monitor the kind of the aggregate power, there are different ways to do that. But if you really want to get precise about which appliance is using power, um, the, the sort of the techniques that are used to do that, you know, they're actually quite interesting. You can you can get an idea of which appliance is, is using power based on the signature it has on the on the power line itself, which is sort of an artifact of the way appliances create noise in the network. But, but if you really want to get specific, you've got a bank of, you know, 
10 dryers, you want to know which one's using power, you're going to have to use something that's more as a distributed sensing capability. Um, what, one thing that to note is, well, well, we don't, um, you know, it, we intentionally limit our power to this 100 watt limit so that we can get advantage of this, you know, sort of limited um, code requirement uh, domain. That doesn't mean that um, we can't control those devices. So one of the things we make is uh, a little little device that sits on our network that can control an HVAC unit. You know, HVAC units have you know two or three different ways to talk to them. Some of them are just relay contacts. Some of them are, use Modbus or RS forty five communication links. But you know, we we have a device that can be can allow. Uh, an HVAC unit to be exposed to our system. So the sense that that control point can be integrated with an application that's also reading the the temperature sensors and humidity sensors and occupancy sensors throughout the building that are on our network. So you have a single algorithm for HVAC control. And that's one of the ways we achieve the 30% energy savings. It's through the algorithmic um, use of the sensors to control the thing that uses the most energy in the building, which is really the heating and cooling. Since there's a light in all these rooms and you've already strung up sort of these systems. Um, You're essentially just controlling a switch, right? Like it's just uh, another method of instead of like right now, I would imagine that there's a ton of wireless technology, right? Where it's like, okay, I have a, I don't know. I've seen a bunch of LoRa sensors that go out and are just kind of there um, I've seen a bunch of um, attachments that are like Wi-Fi connected um, that are run off of like the HVAC power itself. Um, but it's really kind of an interesting thing when you think about um, having, you know, that connection in that room, right? Instead of having this like crazy like network set up that in my experience uh, in, in buildings goes down fairly regularly. Um, now it's a, a hardwired thing. Yeah, so wireless, you know, again, I, I, it's, it's, I'm a big fan, but you have to provision every device to connect to the network. You, you really don't know where it is. So just imagine if you try to guess at what apartment a certain wireless device was in, you could get it wrong and suddenly you've got, you know, a switch in one apartment controlling another. So to avoid that kind of stuff, you... Um, you have to individually provision each device. So when you hardwire a connection, um, you, you, the provisioning is automatic. You're, the, the devices are, you know, present themselves on the network uh, that, that they're connected to. So you, you've eliminated that entire step of getting everything on the network. And then, then the, the next thing that we do to try to, to make this better is these devices express themselves for the type of device they are with their unique identifiers. So you can make sure we slot them into the roles um, that, you know, that they're intended to be in for that building. You know, that the big cost part, the big chunk of that cost of building automation systems is the cost of, uh, doing the commissioning after the install. And we felt like, you know, I don't know if we can completely eliminate it, but we can get rid of 99% of it because we don't have to go to every device to provision it individually. Okay. So, and that, and by provisioning, you mean like going literally and turning a switch on and off and being like, this is this switch. And actually, I mean, even more deeply, I mean, um, actually, I mean, you know, a Wi-Fi device is have to, you have to tell them what their SSID and password is. Right, yeah. uh, 
Bluetooth devices, you have to do some kind of pairing process to get them connected to the right network. Even same is true for, um, you know, and any device you, to be able to know which device it is and and what role it's playing, you have to manually tickle it somehow to get it to be part of the network. Um, that's where we, you know, that's the big one of the big advantages is that, that device when it's plugged into our system, it's online and connected, and it starts to play its role right away. It's it's, it's good. It's, go. a, it's a huge step forward. A lot less a lot less messing around. And if you talk to builders, and you know, just at, just mention the word commissioning to a builder, and their eyes roll back inside their heads, just like you know the Exorcist or something like that. It's it's, it's a it, it really has a visceral impact on on people when they think about the technology. The tech, and the, I mean the way I put it, the way I put it is you know this is really something I learned in my days at Apple. We we really had a passion for bending technology to people instead of making people bend to technology. And I feel like that's a lot of what's going on today. A, a building automation system, you know, comes along with a team of people that are, you know, experts and consultants and how to, how to manage these systems and configure them and set them up. And, and when you need to change something or fix something, you got to call the same people to come back in. Um, I, I, I want to see it be more like USB where, you know, you can just buy a, you can buy a USB device, plug it in, and you, you're good to go. You don't have to do all this stuff. So, yeah, it's a journey, of course. We're going to get there. But if we don't try by figuring out how to make a difference with the way we design things in the first place, we're never going to get to the point where this is uh, this technology is ubiquitous. But that's, that's super important, especially as we are talking about, I mean, like, the reason everyone uses Apple products is because they just work. Right. Like, and that's something that we, especially at Tumble, like we talk about, right. Cause like, I just want to do my laundry, right. Like I want to do this in the most efficient way possible and technology shouldn't be a barrier or, or a, you know, hurdle to jump through in order to do that. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't feel like an extra step, like, oh, I need to have my phone and blah, blah, blah. Like for us, I mean, the experience was so awful, right. It was like, I have yeah. to go get quarters and then I have to like load this card thing up and then I have to like, you know, make sure that the sun and the stars are perfectly aligned so that the machine works and, you know, maybe it completes the whole cycle. Right. Um, and then you have to worry about people stealing your underwear if you're not there when the yeah. tire's done. Like, I hate it when that happens. Or just throw it on the ground. Like that happened to me so many times. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Like it's, it, I, 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 I like rage quit laundry. Like that's how this company started. I was just like, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to build it. And, you know, and, and to me, it's, it's hugely important. Like I, I think you should be able to walk into a room and just have it work. Right. And mm -hmm. That the amount of engineering that goes into just making something work is is insane, right? Especially as you start to talk about you know Bluetooth versus wireless versus mobile, you know, like all this type of stuff. So, um, the, it, the step, this, you know, the first step in the twelve step program it really is caring. Yeah, I, it, if you don't care, then we'll never get there. So we have to we have to first say, you know, we can do better than this, and not give up on it just because it's hard. So, you know, right. we saw a unique opportunity because of this low voltage movement that's going on, you know, because of the LEDs and motors to, to, you know, seize this moment to do something different instead of just, you know, trying to be additive and pack things on top of other things. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about anyways, is I think what you're doing is creating a place for sort of the next level amenity, right? So the next, you know, as you're, as you're starting to create infrastructure, it really opens a lot of doors on things that you can do experientially, um, in these buildings that we live in, right? Like that's, that's what we're talking about is like, we, I, you know, you interact with a physical space every day, whether you know it or not. Right. Um, so what do you, what do you think that starts to look like? Uh, like what are the, what are some of the, the opportunities here? Well, if, if you take inspiration from what you guys did with letting you do laundry with your phone, like I think your phone should be also your apartment key yep. and you should be able to let your friends get into your apartment. I mean, these are things that are coming one way or another, but the, if we can break down the barriers to the technology and turn something like that into an application that can run on the building, we'll get there a lot faster. You know, it, you know, today we would have to wait for the door control system to have a high level integration with the, um, the, the intercom system. And the, you know, the, you, you can imagine all these things having to have APIs talking to each other, which is, you know, it's great if you're a consultant that comes in and writes code to tie those things together. But if you're just the, if just managing a property, you know, it just, it, Make sure, make sure head hurt to think about what it's going to take to offer that. So you just don't do it. You just say, you know, I, it's not that important to, to do something nice for my tenants. So I'm not going to worry about, you know, turning on the phone key application or, or, you know, or, or just giving them access to um, the automation in their apartments or you know, whatever features that you, that you, you feel that you could offer. If it's a software and you can install it and test, you know, you might do it. But if you have to go implement some kind of integration, you know, it's it's unlikely that you would ever be motivated to do it. Yeah. Well yeah. Or, or if I have to have like six different accounts to to do things, right? Like I'm opening one app and then I'm going I'm opening one app to open my door. I'm opening another app. Well, actually, yeah. this is exactly what I do right now. Now that I think about it. They used like, to call it portal hell. Yeah. This is exactly what I do right now. Like I, yeah. I have an app that I open the door with, and then I have another app that I turn my lights on with, and then I have another app that I listen to music, you know, sort of on my Sonos, right? Got, got yep. you know, my Sonos going. And, um, you know, and that's, that is kind of my reality right now is like, I, I just have an app for, you know. I'm, I'm then again, I am one of those people that has like Uber and Uber Eats on their phone just because I like the shortcut <laughs> into Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 why does Uber make me? I run the Uber app and I somehow have to then tell it, oh, I want to ride. No, no. I, <laughs> of course I want to ride. That's why I ran the Uber app. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, you know, they, they're trying to be the, the planes, trains, automobiles, right? And, yeah. and delivery and all this other thing. So. <clears throat> Um, I, there is a, a point when you're talking about just, you know, UX, right. Of overloading one thing. Right. And it's, 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 you know, I, I get it. Like it's more revenue. They're a multi-billion dollar company, a lot bigger than the laundry company, but, um, it, you know, the, the challenge is sometimes it's hard to justify the cost of doing something on the payback period. If it's going to, if, if, if you can't quantify what kind of uplift you're going to get from your residents if 
you implement a feature, then you might have a hard time justifying it. And I, I can I can see why that happens. Which, you know, you know, in in the what the iPhone did for us with the App Store was made it a hell of a lot easier to try an app out and and see if it worked for you. If it didn't, you just delete it. You know, it's the, 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 the experimentation that happened when the App Store was brought to the phone uh, was unprecedented really. Before that, it was like, get a box, open it up, install the CD, you know, that, that's how you put apps on PC. So, and you know, now the expectation is that, oh, of course I can try an app out. You know, I, why not yeah, give the property don't... manager the same set of choices? If you, right. if somebody says they've got an app that's better at energy efficiency because it knows how to read sensors, control your heating and cooling, and and react to somebody entering the door, you know, open the door up and do something different. What, whatever that algorithm is, you can try it out and see if it actually works for you. And then if it doesn't, you get rid of it and then install another one. Yeah, you know, this that that's the kind of world that we should have, and the the the. The innovation should be at the fingertips of the the people managing these properties. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and and you know the other thing that the App Store was so good is it is it opened it for everyone. Right. Like yeah. now, all I have to do, as long as I have Xcode now, I can write. I can make an app. Right. Like it, it might have to go through a review process and all this stuff, but like yeah. potentially, you know, I could have. Well, I do. I mean, we do have an app. Right. It's, you do your laundry, but. You know, anyone, no matter where you are, can have that distribution, right? So that I, I think it's it's extremely interesting. We think about buildings and platforms like that because we're in that we're in that CD phase, I guess, right? Like you're buying packaged software solutions or packaged amenity solutions that you know maybe with some work can talk to other things, but aren't by design part of that ecosystem yet. Yeah, it, a lot of it is breaking down the silos when different subsystems are completely distinct from each other. The the only way to get past those silos is usually some kind of manual integration. So getting to the point where everything is on a common fabric, a common network allows us to, uh, to implement things in software. I guess the, the, the analogy I sometimes make, so if a, it, if if a phone was built the way a building is built today, you know, you wouldn't be able to just take a picture. You'd have to know that the camera in the phone is a Canon camera or an Omnivision sensor. And then you'd have to go to Omnivision's website to do an integration to get the image out of the picture. That's kind of what buildings are today. Like every subsystem is distinct. There's no common discoverability between them. Um, if you know, we, we're not going to get there simply by hoping everybody agrees. We got to start solving the problem by saying, "Hey, if you build something, it's a standard way of plugging it into the system, so it can be discovered by other things." And that generally isn't all that controversial. If if people that make components for buildings have a, a blueprint for how to build something that can is plug and play, why wouldn't they do it? They they would they would completely want it. Uh, do that. There's no, there's no room for, um, I should say, th there's a, absolutely a desire for people who make things to make components in a way that they can be sold to a lot of people. And that's why, you know, USB, so USB did this. So USB created not just this plug and play ecosystem, but what happened because um, 
It was easy to plug stuff into a USB port. A whole ecosystem of devices came about that never existed before. And I always joke that I think you can buy USB coffee mugs now. I'm not sure what the hell the USB coffee mug does or why, but it exists because... Yeah, because of the standard interfaces and, you know, maybe a USB coffee mug uh, presents itself as a, you know, a temperature sensor or something like that. But, you know, you can you can see how this, the, the, the democratization of the connectivity allowed a whole ecosystem to be created. Fixtures today, fixtures in a building get one piece of information from the building. It is whether or not there is power. And that's not a lot of information. It would be great if the, you know, when you, when a fixture plugs in a building, it could be express itself and, and express that it has other capabilities beyond just this idea of being able to use power. Like I'm a light, I have sensors, I have a speaker, I have a microphone, I are, you know, whatever these, these devices are, that would allow people to actually make fixtures that have multiple purposes, right? Would it be great? And that I did see, there's a company I saw at the Builder Show a couple of years ago building a light fixture that had a speaker and a microphone in it. And the idea was that it would be a point of presence for Alexa. So cool, nice idea. But the work they had to do to, to make that possible was crazy. They, they, they did this whole cloud-based software stack that had to tie into the infrastructure and that only accomplished the connection to Amazon so to do the others they had to go through all this extra stuff it was probably Wi-Fi driven yeah it was Wi-Fi driven had to be provisioned but if it plugged in if instead it just plugged in as a combination device that was a light and a speaker and a microphone then the application for you know Alexa could simply discover that as the the, the you know, discover the microphone and and speaker and use that as a point of presence. Yeah. That would have been a lot simpler. That company would not have had to go through some, so many contortions to make that device. Well, and, and like, I, I think the, the chip shortage here, like should have really made people think about over engineering some of these things. Like, why do we have to put a Wi-Fi chip in everything? Like, why do we have to, you know, a, a, sim- a simple piece of silica that is just a microphone and a light and whatever like and you don't have to do that microprocessing or abstraction like at that point and you can do that somewhere more centralized like that makes that the cost of that device so much lower and like it doesn't have to get you know there's no supply chain problem with it then um because you don't you don't have to go do crazy stuff i think an interesting way to look at the 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 technology balance. Um, when you build something out of electronics, generally the cost of the electronics goes down over time. You know, set aside the supply chain nonsense <laughs> we're going through right now, which is an anomaly. Over time, things get cheaper, and you know, get when you manufacture at lower volume, the, the prices come down, and just everything gets better and better as as we streamline all that stuff. The thing that doesn't get cheaper is labor. It always costs something to make people, you know, it always costs something to have people do work for you. So nothing wrong with people doing work, but if we, if we keep doing things that are going to require labor every time you do it, it's not going to get cheaper. I mean, the reason the Tesla factory is so efficient is the ridiculous amount of robotics in that place. If you've ever seen it, it just blows your mind. And 
nothing wrong with people working and using tools to assemble things, but if a robot can do it, maybe we can have people doing things that uh, robots are, aren't good at. So we, we looked at it and said, well, instead of having people have to do the provisioning and all the extra work around um, the installation, if we can shift um, some of that mundane labor into having a smarter product that will itself come down in cost over time, you win in the end. You get, you know, you get electronics that becomes cheaper and there's less work to be done. Yeah. Human machine teaming. That was a big, uh, big thing that we talked about when I, at my time at Accenture, um, oh, know, cool. was, uh, using, using robotics for dangerous, dirty and monotonous tasks or something like that. I don't know. You know yeah, precisely. And that, it, in a lot, a lot of ways, that's what we're doing. We're, we're shifting, the, the 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 effort from people to electronics and the electronics don't you know they're, they're just the cost of silicon just disappears over time yeah well and the other the other thing that's that's that you're talking about is and actually i i call this like tesla's approach to hardware design right where you kind of build things knowing that software is going to catch up and find a use for it Right. So you talk about building this network of devices in a building that is then connected, right? It's there to kind of do whatever you want and you can write software and build an application on top of that. And we did that with Tumble at first. Like we were like, you know, one day we're going to want to know what the temperature sensors are. One day we're going to want to know how much sound this thing's making. One day we're going to want to know what the vibration is. And what that turned into for us was an industrial IoT application. Um, and we do machine health, but we, we designed knowing like, Hey, there's probably a use for this kind of going forward. And maybe we haven't quite figured it out what that use is and where the value is with that and where we want to allocate engineering resources, but it's there. Just imagine if to justify those extra sensors, if you couldn't justify it right away, you had to just not do it. Yeah. That's kind of the world we're in today. If if you can't justify the sensor being there, you you just don't put it in. So you just you just never get that opportunity. Right. And then like now you can do fart noises in Teslas because they have the sensors to do that. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> it's a real application. Uh, no, a, a more interesting example. I love this one. I this this is one of those apps that just made me wonder what I'm doing wrong with my life. But <laughs> somebody did this app that was a heart rate monitor. Uh, and what it did is it you know, you put it over put your finger over your camera right next to the on, over the camera and the flash. And what it did is they illuminated your finger with flash and then they could see your pulse with the camera. I'm like, that was genius. I just yeah. like, like, so somebody sat around and said, oh, I can take this, the flash and the camera and I can do this thing. And no, you know, did, did, you know, Apple, I'm sure didn't, didn't think, well, if we have a flash and a camera, they'll be able to do heart rate measurements. <laughs> like, no, like, but that, you know, I know maybe that's not the most important thing ever created, but the fact that that was possible is a testament to getting the, the, the sensors and the, the components there and then opening up the platform to let people innovate in software. Right. All right. Let's uh, final, final thoughts, this one up here. So we've talked a lot about building an infrastructure for buildings for automation, right? And what that will allow us to do as we move forward. Um, so if you had a crystal ball, what do you think uh, buildings are, are going to start to look like uh, connectivity wise and 
using this sort of infrastructure? So one of my customers is Sustainable Living Innovations out of Seattle, and they're a, probably a pretty good, directionally a pretty good um, vision for where it's going. Uh, buildings need to be, first of all, they need to be more built like cars, yep. like Teslas, where the factory builds parts and they get assembled on site because, you know, you know, nailing two by fours together in a job site is is really not not the future. Um, but really a focus on a, a common platform for innovation. And they're, they're really big on the idea of of uh, the software platform where innovation can be brought to the world. So I'd say, you know, buildings of the future are going to have more sensors. They're also going to have a platform that can allow those sensors to be used in secure, robust ways that um, are cognizant of privacy and internet security. I mean, side topic, right? Well, another podcast, the next podcast, you know, it's like, okay, as we are connecting these things, and there is this thing called the Fair Housing Act, right? Like, um, you have to be very cognizant about what you're collecting and how it's being used, right? Especially as you're going into someone's home uh, and doing that. So, so buildings of the future are going to have a lot of sensors, but the infrastructures are going to be designed in a way where we can manage how those sensors are used securely. The, the IoT world has gotten a bad rap for some very, very bad implementations that um, <clears throat> turn people's webcams into botnets. And, you know, that, that, that you know, that if, if we're going to do this right, if we're going to do this right, we're going to, to, to take a measured approach that observes the importance of security and privacy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree. And it will be really, really interesting to see where all that goes, you know, and be, and be a part of it, which is even, which is even more fun, you know? So, um, yeah, well, thanks so much for coming on, Jim. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to connect with us, find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at amenitizer die. Thank you for listening.